We're going to start with our, our ser- sermon, but before that, do you know what? This is the fifth Sunday of the month. Isn't that cool? And you know what that means? It's our fifth Sunday, uh, aptly named. And that's the Sunday where we take a time, step back, and we focus a little bit on some of the missions that we have a- happening in our church. And this uh, fifth Sunday, we're going to talk about uh, prison ministry. And, and so to do that, we have uh, one of our pastors and, and uh, family here uh, is uh, Larry and Sherry Strong. They've been uh, actively engaged in prison ministry for a while now. And so I've asked them to come and to share a little bit. So Larry and Sherry, please join us. And uh, you're going to be so amazed. It's, uh, do they look like they belong in prison? <laughs> right? <laughs> Just God uses so amazing. It's so cool. All right. So there you are, Larry. And are you We're guys? in church. I'm going to be brief because God has really raised Sherry up to be the leader in this ministry that God has called us to. Um, but you have to kind of ask yourself, why would anybody in their right mind go into a place that most people are trying to get out of? And as we know, following Jesus, he will take us places and make us do things that we, in our right mind, would never do. Amen? Amen. And uh, the other thing is that, well, and first and foremost, God put on our heart... Uh, the desire to serve in this way about 17 years ago. And we've been blessed to serve in Canyon City and uh, Golden Correctional Center and in Boulder County Jail. But um, the other reason is because when Jesus said to his disciples, go, uh, he didn't say except for here, here, and here. And the Bible does um, encourage us to remember those in prison and to and to go and serve those who are incarcerated behind what we call behind the razor wire, and um, as I like to share with with the, the, especially the guys down in Golden uh, when we go in, one of the things I always like to let the guys know is one of the biggest differences between me and them is I just didn't ever get caught, and uh, it's it's a fascinating uh, experience to go and and minister to these to these folks who. I mean, generally speaking, if you're incarcerated, you probably made some bad decisions in, in, your, in your life. But the truth is, is that the difference between us and them is they actually act out what they think, and we don't. That's the difference between normal people and people who are incor- incarcerated. Um, the other thing that I have learned through this ministry is, for those of you who perhaps are struggling with where God is calling you to serve because you don't feel equipped, you don't feel like you have the right stuff, whatever that might be, to to go into whatever that area of service God is calling you, you are correct. You do not. Uh, we absolutely have to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit when we go in to the prisons because we can have the best plan and the best ideas, and when we show up, it might, we might go into lockdown. There might be three, might be 30. We don't really know what God is going to make happen. So we have to go with a real open agenda and open heart uh, to be able to, um, to minister. So anyway, with that in mind, here's, uh, here's Sherry. Um, I love that verse that says the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and we find that in the in the jail in in Boulder County Jail and the prison uh, prisons that we go into is that um, there's a saying that they have there that when God is all you have left, you find out He's all you need, and the level of humility and brokenness that we encounter there, and the passion for Jesus, uh, because uh, is is amazing. 
And I know some people talk about jailhouse religion, but there are many, many true converts who then go on to be released and go back into the prison prisons and minister. And um, there's a very active church. You know, we all uh, in the prisons. Uh, we have every prison has a very active on fire church, and it. To be honest, it puts us to shame a lot, and we go in. We're we're challenged when we go in because we're like we should be. We should have that much love for Jesus, but those who have been forgiven much love much, and um, like Larry said, it's really taught us to be flexible because you go in with the plan and it all falls apart. And that's the cool thing about it is you feel totally inadequate. Um, you may not be a teacher. Um, or anything like that, but you go in and 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 you just go in with a smile and encouragement, and God shows up. It's amazing. I mean, it surprises us a lot of times how God shows up, what He does, you know. And so, um, one of the requirements that you need to go into prison ministry—it's very simple. The state requires that you have eight hours of training. Um, basic training, and then you have to do three hours every year of update training. You have to go in under the leadership of a ministry, and you can do online research if that's something that interests you. Um, there are many different ministries. Some target the wives of prisoners. Some target you know, the families, the um, after-prison care, uh, halfway houses. The one that we're involved in does nursing home. Um, halfway houses, and then jail and prison ministry. Um, the the two differ. Uh, we the jail ministry is basically a Bible study, but sometimes one will show up, and sometimes it's fourteen or or twenty, and um, so it takes different forms. Sometimes it's individual ministry. Sometimes it's. I mean, we've had entire times where we just sang and danced because everybody was under such a heavy spirit. Um, they allow us a lot of freedom, so it's awesome. Sometimes we have an unruly group, and the only way we can calm them down is to put on worship music and soak in God's presence and go around and pray for each one. And it is amazing what happens when we do that. Uh, God touches, especially the naughty ones, <laughs> the ones who that are usually the troublemakers. They'll say, wow, God just sapped me. And you're like, really? <laughs> and so that's the cool thing is God touches people in a variety of ways, and everyone gets what they need. That's so awesome to see that God does that. Um, in the prison, it takes on a different form. Uh, we go for seminars. We go for the weekend, book hotels. Uh, bring in treats because that's a really big deal and unfortunately that's what attracts a lot of people there is they're going to get Oreo cookies and things that they don't normally get um, uh, but and they're also going to get pre- materials and they aren't allowed to have very many materials so I mean getting a pencil is a really big deal um, at the jail I take Kleenexes with flowers on them, and they almost fight over them because they have so little. So it's it's you know an awesome thing when we give them a, a Bible or a, a you know some kind of word scripture. It's a big deal. I mean, they treasure it, and it like I said, it puts us to shame that we don't treasure the word like they treasure the word. Um, it is. Amazing to see uh, what God will do with these people. We have seen, um, 
We have seen such great changes in some of the people that the officers have asked us what happened to inmate so-and-so. And sometimes it is absolutely like an overnight transformation like Paul. Um, one of the problems in prison is that um, they form family groups within the men and women's prison, uh, and there will be a mom, a dad, and children. And they do this for protection and comfort, but it's not spiritually healthy, and um, it's not, you know, what what is the best for them. It's not what the Bible says they should have. So we try to encourage them to form family groups of Christians who can meet together and support each other and get out of this lifestyle and this alternative lifestyle. And um, the interesting thing is that it doesn't require very much. Like, I, like Larry said, basically, um, if, you have, if you have a heart for encouragement and you like to encourage people, um, that's perfect. If you like to worship and praise, it's perfect. You know, um, if you have ever had a couple scrapes with the law, that's really good too. Because <laughs> they really relate. We've taken in people from this church who've, and, you know, who've had scrapes of the law and they perk up when you say, I've been here. You know, so they, that really is a connection for them. Um, if you want to get better at evangelism, this is like one of the easiest places in the whole world to, to get better because it's a captive audience. It's a captive audience. <laughs> and exactly. And also, um, I mean, a lot of times when I'm when I'm teaching a Bible study and there's maybe three disruptive women because the problem with the women is they're in lockdown 22 hours a day and they only have two hours out of their cell and they have 20,000 words to all get out at the same time. <laughs> and so can keeping them under control is a challenge. And with the men, the challenge is getting them to share because they don't want to be vulnerable because if you are vulnerable, if you show vulnerability to the other inmates, you are a target. So those are the two challenges. Usually women minister to women, men women minister to men, but they do have couples go in so that they can see what a uh, man, how he should treat a woman with respect and vice versa. So um, that's, that is one of the things that um, is, is good is to go is to go in as um, you know a couple, or you can go in as individuals. You can go in once a month. You can go in a seminar um, once a year or three times a year without any training, as far as that goes. So, and we uh, we brief the people in what are the rules of prison etiquette. So basically, if or if you're an adrenaline junkie, it's a perfect thing for an adrenaline junkie because it's always exciting. It's never boring. And so you don't have to be a Bible scholar. It's, you know, we just invite you if, you. if you have a heart for this kind of thing, just let us know. And you can come with us and just try it once. So we encourage you to do that. Very good. Well, thank you for Larry and Sherry. Before you go, we're going to pray with you. But uh, before we do that, uh, talk about there's some ways that we can support uh, Larry and Sherry and, and prison ministry in our church. I'll set this over here for Laszlo so he'll know what to play at the very end. That'll be nice for all of us. Um, and for Laszlo, too. Uh, here's how we could support them. The first one is prayer. We're going to pray for it together uh, now, but maybe one of the things that you can do is to commit to praying over Larry and Sherry and their prison ministry continually. And uh, one of the great things, Larry and Sherry oftentimes will um, put together on our prayer list uh, we send out, uh, there'll be prayers 
for these things. But you could call them and let them know, listen, I want to keep you in prayer. And this might be your ministry. And so if you are a person that is drawn to this, you, you have a um, passion for intercessory prayer, you want to pray over them, protection, not just their protection, but also that God will open doors and hearts and pray for those that, have, that are being touched by this ministry. That's a huge way that we as a church family can support them. The second way uh, that we could support them is this. You might want to join them. All right, now, if you heard this, maybe something, God's sparking something in your heart and saying, calling you and saying, uh, you should be doing this. And uh, here's the best thing. It's always the right time for faithfulness. You will probably feel like, what a, I can't go into the prison. Look at Sherry. This does not look like a hardened, <laughs> she goes into prisons. She's tough. Uh, but the thing is, uh, you don't have to be, uh, you know, you know uh, tattoos all over your face and things like this to be able to go in prison ministry. If God is calling you, you are qualified. And we'll talk about that today, why. But I want to say this. If you're being called that way and you want some information, go talk to Larry and Sherry about that. Join them. Go once. See. Uh, and so uh, uh, that's a great way, this, the church, that we can also support uh, that ministry. The third way is... Um, we're going to take an offering. It's our fifth Sunday, and that's what this is going to go towards, is prison ministry. Um, so supplies, Bibles, things like that to support this ministry. And so in order to do that in your bulletin, there's a little envelope for offerings for this, the kingdom commitment. And um, if you would like to make a donation, it goes, all of that will go towards the prison ministry. Uh, and so that's a great thing. If you want to take that envelope home and pray about it and say what would you know you feel of, this is the way you want to support. Bring it back next week. That's fine. We'll still make sure that we send it to the prison ministry. So those are the ways that we can support them uh, in this and, and join in this great work. But right now, let's just pray for you, and that'd be awesome. Father, God, thank you for the fact that you never give up on us while we still draw breath, whether we are uh, in, in the prime of our life or we are in, in a prison of despair, Lord, that your gospel can break through. And Father, I thank you that even in the word that you tell us to go to those that are in prison and, and call us not to forget those that society has forgotten and, Father, not to withhold grace on those who uh, may sense their need for it most. So, Father God, I pray that you would continue to bless Larry and Sherry and their, this ministry as they go into the jails and the prisons, Father. Protect them physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Father, I ask that you would give them everything they need. Provide them time and provide them the emotional resources and spiritual resources necessary. Uh, grant them your wisdom and grace as they go into the prison. Father, I pray that as they speak, that your Holy Spirit would unlock people's hearts. Yes. And those, Father, praise those that, Father, we ask for freeing for those that are, uh, Lord, that you would free them from sin. Father, from the lies of this world, Father, that you will do a, a, a renovation of a soul in the, in the prisons here. And Father God, I also pray for us as a church that you would raise us up, help us to be the support you've called us to be, the body. Father, uh, Lord, if there are those out amongst us that you're calling to ministry, prompt them in your spirit uh, and uh, egg them on. Father, help them not to give up on this calling. And Lord, I pray that also that uh, for the offering we'll take, Lord, that uh, you will invest this into the hearts of, of those that you call your kingdom. Father, that uh, you will do great things. And so, Father, in all of this, we're going to receive that you receive glory. And in the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. Thank you. Great commission. That's it, right? That's what we just got to see. We we're talking about. We are right now, week five. This is the last sermon in the greatness series right so so far if you remember that we've gone through we talked about these great passages where does greatness come from and things we're actually going to play jeopardy a little while later and see how much you do remember but i'm going to help you just real fast a little summary father there's a great commandments that god gave us right to love him really with our heart our mind and our soul 
right? To, to just really put God there first. And that's the first and most important thing that we can do. That great commandment, the greatest of all. And so in this, we, we, the challenge was we need to follow greatly to be able to put God in that, that center part. Then we talked about the second half of that great commandment, and that's to love other people, right? To, to care for our neighbor, to, to, to not just to, to say somebody else is somebody else's problem, but to let our heart be open and to open up our eyes and take the blinders off to the pain in this world and to say we want to serve. And the, and the challenge there is, is that we ourselves, that we were called to care greatly. And as to follow greatly and to care greatly. And then, and then we began to talk about uh, this, this wonderful idea that there's going to have to be uh, uh, service in this, that, that compassion that is not brought into action is, uh, is, is not good. We need to serve greatly. That we actually have to go out. God has given us something to do. We're part of the body of Christ and he's given you something to do. He's given you a ministry. And to go out and to do that, to begin to serve others in love. We talked about that, that great, uh, uh, the, the principle, the principle of greatness, that uh, we need to serve greatly. Greatness comes through serving greatly. That's so powerful. And so we are called to actually put our faith in action to serve. And then uh, and we, we began then talk about this next thing, which was all of that rests on this commitment. We looked at the early church and what did they do right after Pentecost? I mean the verse, the sentence after Pentecost. Well, they were committed. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer and to breaking of bread. Right? There was this commitment of faith and faithfulness. They said, we're going to do this when it's easy and we're going to do this when it's hard, but there's a commitment to the faith. And as we commit greatly, God does great things. And today, we have to wrap it up with, with all of that background. Right? This commission, what are we here for? You ever wonder what you're here for? Have you ever asked that deep question? God, why am I here? Some people say, well, weren't we here to, to glorify God? Yeah, but you're going to glorify God in heaven as well, right? right? Aren't we here meant to love God? Yeah, but we're going to love God in forever in heaven too, right? Why are you here? Why isn't it that God just zapped you up to heaven the moment you came to faith? Why does he make us stay here? Because the world is hard. Why? This is why we're here. Today we talk about the purpose all those other things have got to be part of who we are. But once we have that, now we have purpose, and it's so fun. Now, let's talk about the great command. In fact, let's do better than that. Let's memorize it, because if we're supposed to do anything, if this is what Jesus told us, this is what I want you to do, shouldn't we know it? Yes. Yes, we should. That's the answer. Yes. Yes, we should definitely memorize this, because this is what Jesus is, this is what he's grading us on. He, 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 he told us what we're supposed to do. So, Jesus just said right before this, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, right? I'm the boss of all things, including you. So, therefore, listen up. Boss told you to do something. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Isn't that amazing? Here's the thing. This is why we're here. These are our marching orders. We should know them back and forwards, right? We're going to talk about them today, but also spend some time this week thinking about them. So take that memory verse card and use it as, our, as a tool to be able to grow in this faith and faithfulness. Now, it's time to play Jeopardy. In fact, if I was like, it's time for a Christian church Jeopardy, right? Because this is the end of this series, and I want to see how well you got to listen so I know if I can be depressed today or excited. All right? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, let's, let's populate the board here. The uh, title is Great Things. And uh, why don't we go Great Things for 100. Here we are. In this great passage from Matthew 22, 
Jesus teaches that we are to love God with our heart, soul, and mind. What is? The greatest commandment. Very good. Say it loud and proud. Woo! 100 points. Very good. All right. Next one for 200. Here we are. This principle states that greatness comes through serving greatly. What is? The greatness principle. Boy, you, you know what? There is a sermon that is online at funchurch.com that, uh, to serve greatly. And you'll hear of all about this. So go to funchurch.com, look for the greatness principle series. series. I kid you not, greatness in Scripture, not, all the way through, we find that Jesus said, you want to be great? Serve greatly. That's where it starts, right? And so as we move ahead, the great, if we want to fulfill the greatest commandment and the great commission, right, both of those, there's a level of service, serving greatly. And how do we do that? We talk about it there. So the great principle. All right, 300. It says this, church attendance, life group, Bible study, prayer, and service all require this key component to greatness. What is? Say it loud. Yay, commitment. You got to commit to that one. You got to be all in. <laughs> commitment. That's right. God called us to do something great, but great things require commitment. In a couple of weeks to next Sunday, there's going to be a big football game, and you think about some of those players don't want to play every single day, right? Sometimes I'm sure that they go out to practice and they're like, oh, I don't want to beat this person to a pulp, right? It's probably what they're thinking. I don't want to have to run all these things, right? But in order to get to be great, they have to go out when it's nobody else is looking, right? They got to commit themselves to working out and memorizing plays and all these kinds of things. Now think about this. How tiny of a thing is a football game compared to, I don't know, building the eternal kingdom of God. We commit ourselves to all kinds of things in life, but God says, if we want to build his kingdom, we want to see great things happen, there's a great commitment that's necessary. And some of these things are just part of that. And so we're called to this great commitment. All right, let's do Great questions for 400. Let's see what... Who would have thought? That noise was so hard to find. Okay, here we go. This is Jesus' final command to his disciples. What is? The Great Commission. Very good. The final. Like, when you talk about when your boss gives you the final orders, this is what I want you to do, kind of important, right? So we're going to talk about that today. So why don't you turn in your Bibles to Matthew 28. Let's get into this Great Commission. That's where you're going to find it. And uh, if uh, you have one of our Bibles, that's going to be on page 698. If you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to use one of ours in the back. And if you just need a Bible, just take it. Just gift our gift to you. Um, So there's like a little thing back there, but 698. And as you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of background, some things. You're going to notice as you turn there that um, this is the last sentences of the Gospel of Matthew. This is the final word in that Gospel. That's pretty interesting. So this is what happened before these things are being said. One, Jesus is speaking, right? So he's talking to his disciples. This is important. He's talking to disciples. These are the people that he spent. They started out as 12 nobodies, right? They were fishermen and tax collectors and they were political revolutionaries and all this kind of stuff, but they were not godly men. And he takes them and he transforms them over three years and he makes them disciples and he teaches them all the way to follow God, right? So he's poured into them. He's, this is a command for disciples, Jesus didn't give this command to the crowds. We can't expect people who aren't disciples to make disciples. Does that make sense? Not only that, he also spent three years with them, but then Jesus also fulfilled his whole commission from God. He came, as God the Son came, he died for our sins, he 
He was resurrected. He spent 40 days walking around so that way people would know he wasn't just like an illusion or something like that and getting to talk with him. He had done his part and now he's handing off the work to the church. All right, so we see that. This is the end of, of the gospel and the beginning of the great work. Also, um, we find that in, in this passage here that Jesus sets it up with, uh, with an important prefix. So here he says here um, in, uh, in the verse right before that, verse 18, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. He reminds them that he has the right to tell them this. Right? And he says, listen, I want you to do something for me. There's something I'm sending you to do, and I have the authority to ask you to do this. I have the right to ask of this of you. And we have to remember that, that once we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, Lord is part of that. You remember, right? And so we say, okay, now I need to do what he asked me to do. And this is what he's asked us to do. And he has the right to do it, because it's not always easy. So Matthew 28, 18 through 20, starting, actually I'm going to start with the, Verse 16, it says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee. Why eleven? Well, Judas didn't do so great, and so uh, he was left out. But they, they replaced him, so it was good. All right. So they went to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Duh. I mean, even though they had seen him for 40 days and all this kind of stuff, when you see somebody die, these guys weren't paragons of faith. They were still growing. But God still trusted them with something amazing. So then Jesus came to them. Oh, then Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And boom, the gospel ends. That's it. That's, that's the last part of the good news. I think it's great news that we have part of this, that he does. Now, notice in this that, that there is. This is the final command of Jesus. This is his marching orders for us, right? He gives this to his disciples, and guess what we are? His disciples. This is for you and me, right? It's the first command to the church. It's the first thing that Jesus told his church, I want you to do. That's pretty important. So if we drift from this particular mission, I think we're getting off track, right? So we need to come back to it from time to time and say, what does God want from us? It starts here. Also, uh, there is one imperative verb. Now, if you like grammar, you are unique, right? Um, but in Greek, in here, it makes some of these grammar things a little easier. In grammar, there is something called an imperative verb. That is a command. An imperative means you must do it, right? And there is only one imperative verb in the entire great commandment or the Great Commission. One thing that Jesus tells us to do. Everything else explains what we're supposed to do. And the imperative verb is this, make disciples, Jesus told his disciples, make disciples. That's what he tells us to do. Now, what is it that as a Christian church, we are disciples that build disciples. There's a reason for that. We're trying to fulfill what God called us to do. We have to start by being disciples and being disciples. And as that, we need to make disciples. That's what we're called to do. So, Jesus calls us to do all of that. And uh, in this, to make disciples, he explains... How do you make disciples? That's where those other verbs are. And there are three that we get, and uh, we'll talk, and each one of those is a commission. Each one of those, we have God's right. He says, I want you to make disciples, and this is how you're going to do it. So you have, he's been a, you've been authorized by God to do these things. And the first thing that you have been commissioned to do is go. Do you see that in here? 
We came to, he said, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, he says, go. This is important because the church oftentimes says, come, right? I am a Christian and I will live my quiet Christian life where it's very comfortable and it may be that other people might come to me and that they will see the light and then they'll take. No, Jesus said, go. Go into a very dark world. Take the gospel. You have been commissioned by God to go. And he says to go to all people, to all different kinds of people. There's no place that is off limits. He didn't say, go to all people except for, you know, don't go to the, don't go to those Republicans over there or stay away from those Democrats, right? He didn't say that. He didn't say, oh, you know, go to the people that, that are nice and smell good, but don't go to the people that are ugly, right? He didn't say, go to the law abiders, but don't go to the people that are in prison. He said, go. Go. There are no boundaries. Now, notice this. It's prefaced with his authority that we are authorized to go anywhere with the gospel, There is no government in the world that has the right to tell you you cannot go and share the gospel. That's why we go to countries that are closed. It's why we can do that because God says obey your governments. But in this, they are disobedient to God. We can go anywhere. We can go to any... In a business, if you are in a company, you are free to be a Christian. By God says you can be a Christian there. You can go. You can go into that place. If you are in a family where it's very difficult and, and they say, you, you, know, you have to suppress your faith. No, you have the authorized by God to be a Christian in your family. You go. If you're in a school where they say, you can't be a Christian here, you can't pray or anything like that, uh-uh. You are a Christian authorized by God. All authority on heaven and earth been given to him and he said, go. He has the authority to send us and we have the responsibility to go. But there is no restriction. How cool is that? Isn't that awesome? Go. Go with freedom and knowing that you're going with God. So we go. Now, the church needs to go. The church was never designed to be a fortress, right? Look at this great passage, Matthew uh, 16, 18. says this, And I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Have you heard that? Let me set up the context, because the context is fun. Okay, Jesus takes his disciples, 12 Jewish guys, goes up onto Caesarea Philippi, Gentile territory, down, overlooks on a cliff, looking down upon the temple of Pan, right? This, this god that they worship, this pagan god. And on the side of the temple of Pan, there was this cave that was really big and really deep. And the people said, that has to be the entrance to hell, right? That's, where, that's the entrance to the underworld, right? There's all the powers and all the gods. This is, this is where they come in and out. Right, right there. So they set a temple up and they would worship and they carved these, these, their statues of their gods that they're going to worship into the walls and all this kind of stuff and these big temples there. And he takes them up and he looks down there, all of these pagan gods, and say, this is, this is their front door, right? This is the front door to hell itself. And he takes them there and he says, all right, guys, who do people say I am? And they say, well, teacher, you're maybe a prophet. People say that. And he says, uh-huh. Well, who do you say I am? You've been with me. And Peter says, Well, you are the Messiah, Son of the living God. And Jesus said, ha ha, bingo, you're absolutely right. The Holy Spirit helped you with that answer because I know you, Peter, you're not smart enough to get that on your own. So, well done. And then he says, I tell you what, that you are Peter, because Peter's name meant a little pebble. And he says, no, you're not a little pebble anymore. This is a rock, a rock of faith. You are now a rock. And on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And guess what? See that? The gates of hell, not going to overcome this church. It's not going to stop. It's not that, that our church is a fortress and hell's not going to be able to come up because I tell you one thing about gates is they don't move. But we move against the gates. 
Jesus is pointing down at that cave and says, you storm hell itself and it can't stop you. You understand that our faith is an offense to which hell has no defense. Do you believe that? Because I hear a lot of times in our culture people being so discouraged at the way that the world is working and says, oh, the church, we're dying off. We can't possibly change culture. We can't change lives in the midst of this baloney. We are on offense. We were meant to go out and to serve and to love. Now remember, all of this starts with the great, great love. We have to love God with everything. We've got to love other people. We've got to have compassion as we do it. But as we go, we go, and hell can't stop us. For 2,000 years, hell hasn't been able to stop us, and it's never going to start stopping us. The only reason the gospel ever stops is the church stops following. We stop going because it's uncomfortable out there. It's scary out there. But it's an adventure. So let's go. You've been commissioned by God to go, and hell can't stop you, so don't stop yourself. So who do we go to? Look at verse 19, and in your Bible, you might want to circle this. It says, it says therefore go who? Make disciples of all nations. In the Greek, holy poly, all the different kinds of people, that's what it means. It's not just the political groups. It's not that we're supposed to just divide by every political line. That's where we're going to go. And he says, go to all people, all different kinds of people. Go to tall people and short people and light-colored people and dark-colored people. Go to people who speak well and those who can't hardly put a sentence together, right? Go to shy people and bold people. Go to people you like and go to the people that are really rude. Go to people that like other people and go to people who hate other people, right? Go to the peaceful and also go to the warring. Go to all kinds of people. And he doesn't say all kinds. In fact, he just moves that kinds out. He says, go to all people. Every human should have the right to know who their Savior is, should have the opportunity to understand what he's done, and be given an opportunity to follow him. That's what he says. Now, why didn't Jesus just roll back the sky and just say, hello, world, I'm God, and uh, if you want to be saved, why did he not do that? I don't know. But I know this, it's not outside of his character. He let angels in that great angelic war, right? The, the civil war in heaven against the angels. He let the angels contend for the fate of the angels. Read it. And he lets people contend for the souls of people. So we have a role to do. He's commissioned us. He says, go. But every person deserves to be able to hear. So we have to go to them. Because I tell you what, they're not coming here. He didn't design it for them to come here. We should go into their life to care for them. This means people in your sphere, people that you love, go to them. Care for them. Right? Reach out in faith to them. And you know what? When we do that, most people we know won't receive the gospel. They might understand it and they still won't follow. What do you do then? Love them. God respects their decision. You need to respect their decision. But you don't stop loving them. You don't stop caring for them. It's not like somebody, you give the gospel to somebody and they say, well, I don't want that. And you're like, well, fine, then you're just going to burn. Right? That's mean. And that's not what God calls us to do. He says, while they hold breath, serve them, care for them, love them. You never know. They may someday turn. And even if they don't, then at least here they experience God's love. Love. We go to all kinds of people, people in your sphere. That's your friends. That's your family. Those are the people in your workplace. The people that you see in our community. But there's also the people that aren't in our sphere. Jesus calls us to go and to serve people that are difficult for us to serve outside of our comfort zone. Look what he called to be the disciple or the apostle to the Gentiles, the most Jewish of all Jewish people. Right? He takes Saul. Saul was so Jewish, he was killing Christians who were Jewish because they had the audacity to worship a Messiah that he didn't under- understand yet. Right? He thought that the Gentiles were so far lost they were like totally off his radar, wouldn't eat with them or anything. And God says, you need to go to them and changes him from Saul to Paul and the world has been changed. 
God calls us outside of our sphere to love what he calls our enemies. And he says this, it does you no good just to love your friends and those inside of your sphere because even the pagans do that. It's easy for them to do that. No, you love the people that are difficult. Love those who hate you, who want to kill you. Bless those that are actually saying nasty things about you because of me. Care for them. It's not a fair fight because we've been licensed to love those who have no idea. They have no idea to expect it. They're out there hating us. Are we rage against you horrible Christians, you fundamentalists, and we can actually care for them. We're like, you know what? Okay, hate me, but you know what? I see that you have this need and I'm going to meet it just because I care for you. Right, I'm going to pray for you. I'm not going to be evil back to you. I'm going to stop the war. Though you slay me, I will not fight back. I got this other cheek here that's nice and fresh. We've been given the power to love. And that power to love is an enormous thing. It's a powerful thing. It's a transforming thing. And this world has no defense against it, which is why it works for the last 2,000 years. We can go, we can love those who hate us. And I say that up here, and it is not easy, is it? It is very hard to love those who are difficult to love. But we can do it. We've been called to do it. We've been commissioned to do it. So we go. We go and know that there are no boundaries in which we are not authorized by God to go and to reach people with the gospel. After we reach them with this gospel, or as we go and do that, we have to ask, how do we go? We know we're supposed to go anywhere. You can share the gospel anytime, place. You're free to do that. How do you go? The first thing is we go with integrity. Look what it says here in Matthew 5. It says this, and Jesus is talking here. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And that's important. What is he talking about? First, he says, your, light, your faith should be like, a, like a, a lamp, right? And no one turns on a light and then puts a, a cover over it because it'd be stupid, right? It doesn't cover it up. It says, in the same way, let your light, let your faith shine, right? So that other people can see your good deeds. Wait a second. He just tied our faith to good deeds. In the church, don't we spend lots of times debating over the fact what's the separation line between faith and good deeds? Seems to me in scripture it says, if you have faith, you will also have good deeds, it just happens. If you turn on a light, it shines. Right? The light doesn't shine because it has light. The light shines because it has energy. Where's energy come? Well, turn it on and then it's going to shine. We're not saved by our good deeds, but as we are saved, we have good deeds. That's called integrity. As we reach the world in love, as we actually practice our faith, because what God tells us to do is good. He tells us to serve people, care for people greatly, right? The great commandments, remember that? Love other people as we love God first and most. Have great compassion, right? We're supposed to see other people's needs, love our neighbors as much as we love ourselves. We're supposed to go and serve sacrificially, right? We do this if we actually live according to what we say we believe. Good deeds are part of our life. It's not just something that we do on some weekend that we sign up for. It's our lifestyle, I care for my wife and I serve her every single day. And my son, I have an opportunity to serve him every single day. And guess what? I have a neighbor that lives right across the road from me who doesn't live there quite yet. And you know what I get to do? I check out his house for him and, you know, shovel the walk and things like that. I get to love the people I'm around every single day. I get to do that. And my good deeds are helping illuminate the gospel. If we as a church go into our community and we say, you need to follow Jesus and obey everything that he had to say, and then we come in there like these horrible dictator overlords, and there's no good deeds in our life, we're not serving them, do you think they're going to listen? It are our good deeds that illuminate the gospel. It allows them to see the good news for what it is. So we start by serving. 
Our actions must reflect our convictions. Now, as we serve according to our good deeds, we also need to go with gentleness and respect. Peter says this in his epistle, 1 Peter 3.15, says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you. Notice it says when they ask you. By the way, that's important. We're not always supposed to like take somebody from the grocery store and say, you know what's going to happen when you die? Now, that's not always. I mean, some people do, but when people ask you, because they should see your good deeds and say there's something different about you. You have hope in the midst of this thing. I see joy in you. When they ask you, you should be able to point to Jesus. Be ready for that. Give a reason for the hope you have. But there's a way they're supposed to do that, with gentleness and respect. The gospel literally means good news. Did you know that? It literally means good news. So the gospel is, is, is great thing to tell people. And we need to see, I thought so many of us are so afraid of sharing the gospel. We're like, when was the last time you were afraid to tell somebody something great? I knock on their door. I'm so sorry, but I'm going to pay your electric bill for a month. I'm, don't be upset. Right? I knock on the door. That, or to see somebody, you're like, wow, you know, you're brilliant. I'm so sorry. No, when you want to tell somebody good news, it's good news. I understand that the gospel is an invitation far more than it's a confrontation. It really is. And I think oftentimes we, we see the people in this world and we f- are so afraid. We're like, yeah, there's a confrontation to it. The gospel can be offensive in that it tells us that we're sinners. But you know what? Pretty much everybody knows they're a sinner already. Pretty much everybody knows that they're, they've fallen. Now, do we love people enough to see the brokenness? I rarely come across somebody going to the gospel and they're like, oh, I'm not a sinner. Most people know that they just, they just wonder, how can God accept me? I hope I'm good enough. I hope the good things in my life outweigh the bad. There's no peace in that. Maybe. Could God accept a person like me? With everything I've done, with all the things that I do in secret, with all the things that I know that are going on in this heart, could God accept me? You know, a lot of people struggle with that. A lot of people wonder, is there any hope in this world? And you know what they do? They numb themselves with TV and books and, and busyness and work and all these things so they don't have to think about the deep things in life. And they get numb and they don't, they run away from these deep, these, these, this fearful thing, what happens next? They fear death as though it's this horrible thing. They know it's coming. They don't want to handle it. They don't want to deal with it. And they live with terror every day of their life trying to squelch it with just busyness. God's given a solution. God loves people. He loves them so much that he came. He loves them more than, than, he, than he just hates the sin. He took the sin. He died for it. He took care of it. I mean, we have a God that is so amazing. The gospel is such good news. That God's not far off and you don't have to go to some crazy temple or sit on some mountain or achieve some kind of high-level number of, of, of meditation to receive his grace. It is for every person. It is such good news. And God will take you right where you're at. Why are we afraid to bring good news to our people around us? We've been commissioned to this. We've been told we can go and we go with gentleness and respect because we get the opportunity to share the best news ever with love. I don't want to wrestle somebody into the kingdom. I want to love them there. We can do it. We've been called to do it. And as we do that, then we've been commissioned to baptize, and this is fun. 
Why? Because dunking people is just straight up fun. That's why kids do it in the pool, right? But what does it mean to baptize them? It means to bring somebody to faith. How are people saved? We are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That is how we are saved. Right from the very beginning of, uh, to the very end, people have been saved by God's grace through faith. God saves people. People don't save people. That's why it's called grace. And God says, I'm going to give you my grace through faith. Now, why baptize? Because Jesus didn't want to get into a whole deep theological discussion about all of this kind of stuff. He sums it all up. And, and there are ways that he says, I want you to express your faith. Right? So, like, let's look in the Old Testament. Noah. God says, I'm going to flood the world and I want to save you. So I want you to build a boat. How did Noah express his faith? He built a boat. Right? It was an act of faith. Did the boat save Noah? No. God saved Noah. But his faith was expressed by building a boat. There are other times that we find that God does this. How about Abraham? God says to Abram, he's an old man. He says, I, even though you don't have a kid, you're going to have lots of kids. You're going to have lots of descendants. Right? And uh, I'm going to ask you to give up all of your land so that way you're going to have much more land that I'm going to give you. Right? So, Abraham, by faith, left his homeland and moved to the promised land. Right? That was an act of faith. Now, was moving, was that what saved Abraham? Is that what, no, I mean, a lot of people move all the time. What was it? God saved Abraham. It says in scripture that it says that God credited his faith as righteousness. He trusted God and he did what God asked him to do. He put his faith in action. How about when we go to Moses and there's that, remember um, Passover where God was freeing the people and Moses, let my people go and and Pharaoh's like, no, and God says, all right, well, we're going to do this one last time and and all of the plagues and firstborn sons are going to die except for those that are inside a house that have the lamb's blood above the doors, right? All those people, was it the lamb's blood that saved the eldest children? Of course not. That's ridiculous. They were saved by God's grace through faith, but their faith had to be expressed that they believed that God was really going to send the angel of death and you were the oldest child, you were probably the one out there like just making sure, right? That's how it works. God tells us what he wants us to do. Then he says, this I want you to express your faith. You express your faith and boom, he saves you. God saves you. You're saved by grace through faith. New Testament, he says, these are ways that God wants us to express our faith. He says, I want you to believe. Believe is is trusting God that he's going to save you even when you have doubts. It's easy to believe at times when you're like, I feel saved, I'm close to God. But there are other times when you're a real stinker and you're like, man, I don't understand. Is God really going to save me? Right? You're going to struggle with doubt. Belief says, I'm still going to trust him. Right? There's other things. You have, uh, you have confession. Confession is identifying with. You say what? Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Right? If I'm going to be saved by faith, I'm going to identify with him. He is my Lord and Savior. I'm going to be ashamed of him. Right? It's like next week, I'm going to pick a jersey. I'm going to be Atlanta. I'm going to be uh, Patriots. And uh, I'm going to have to choose a jersey. I'm going to put on. So I watch the game, and I'm going to identify. I'm confessing that team. It's like me them. We're... We're, we're the same, we're on the same team, right? Jesus said you confess him. We identify with him. We clothe ourselves in Christ. That's, that's an expression of faith. Another thing he tells us to do is we need to repent. It's, it's changing the way we live. We used to be our own boss and now we say God's our boss. All right, so I'm going to obey his rules, not my rules for my life. I do that. Now, there are times that we do that really well and times we don't do that very well. But by faith, it's not me actually obeying God that saves me, right? Because that would be works righteousness and that's ugly it leads to pride and all kinds of bad things but I'm saved by God's grace and one of the ways I express my faith is obeying him 
And that's what he tells me to do, repentance. Now, those are great. Those are great expressions of faith, but they're all subjective. They're not like painting blood over a doorpost or building a boat, which are pretty objective things. Noah was like, was I faithful to do what God asked me to do? Let me check. Boat. Yes, I was. Right? Easy to go. How do you know you have enough belief? How do you know you have enough repentance or confession? How do you do that? It's difficult, isn't it? So there are times in our life when our belief and our confession and all that kind of stuff might be weak and we're like, I don't know if I have enough of them. Am I saved? You're not less saved. You didn't save you to begin with. God saves you. But we have this one thing that God... And plus, is there ever a time you're supposed to stop believing or confessing or repenting? You're supposed to stop obeying Jesus at some point. You're like, I did that once, now I'm good. No, it's a, it's a new lifestyle. So God gives us this one thing. It's baptism. It's a one-time thing. It just means to be immersed. It just means to dunk. That's all it means. Why? Well, for starters, when baptized, we bring someone to faith, and we baptize them, what are they doing? Well, they're expressing their belief because no one in their right mind would stand in front of other people and say, please make me wet in front of all these people, right? You're doing it because you're believing that God is saving you. So it's an expression of belief that's very objective. Do I believe this? Now I'm wet. I must have believed that, right? Another thing that we're doing, we're confessing. We're identifying with Jesus. It says when we're baptized we're dying with him being buried like he died and then being raised to a new life we're identifying with him now i'm new in christ me jesus we're up here we're together it's an objective act of confession now all this and that it's also an objective point in which we say um, that i am going to to repent that i am not obeying just me anymore why because you never told you to be baptized jesus did Right? You didn't come up one day and said, I think the best thing in the world is for me to be baptized. Why? I don't know. Right? No, God told me to be baptized. It's so ridiculous. That's why I think he had us do it. It's an opportunity for us to express faith, and it kind of puts it all together in an objective form. That's why it says be baptized. The point of what I'm saying is this. You are commissioned by God to bring people to faith. You are an evangelist. Right? What this means is you don't have to, if you're talking to somebody, if you're at school, you're at work, you're in your family, and you help somebody come to a point and they say, ah, what must I do to be saved? You don't have to say, well, we have to call Pastor Aaron on the phone. You don't have to bring him to a priest. You don't have to take him to some kind of strange ritual or anything like that. You are authorized by God to bring somebody to faith. Isn't that cool? You. That is amazing. But if God's given you that ability and that authority, he's also given you that responsibility, hasn't he? So we have to ask ourselves as a church, who are we bringing to faith? Who am I bringing? Who am I going to? Who am I expressing my faith in front of? Who am I praying for? Who am I caring for? Is there anybody that, that in my life I'm, I'm an effective witness by my good works and my deeds and my words? Who am I helping come to faith? Because you have been authorized and commissioned by God to baptize you. All of us. And sometimes it might be years in the coming. I remember with my grandpa, it took 12 years. And you might be working with somebody, but every one of us is called to bring somebody to faith. We're supposed to reproduce. And once we do that, then here's the fun part. We get to teach. And this is where the church has missed it. The church has done a great job making converts. And God never said, go and make converts for me and fill my pews and fill the offering basket. It's not what he said. He said, go, you who are disciples, go and make disciples. And you're to go to them, you're supposed to baptize them, but also you're supposed to teach them to obey everything he commanded. Obey Jesus in all things. Now, who here obeys Jesus in all things? No, not me either. Okay, so, (laughs) we are not perfect. He didn't commission you because you're perfect. He's commissioned you because he's making you perfect. Right? As we walk with Jesus, as we are obedient to him, our lives will change. 
right? Uh, think about how this works. It, it starts with biblical knowledge. Jesus began teaching truths about God, and the disciples began to understand that. They know how to obey him better. But then the, he said, all right, now don't do these things. Don't just understand them, but now go and do them. So it's things like this. When I started to, to pray for somebody, and there was a person in my life that I really had a lot of rage against, a lot of rage, and I, for good reason. And, and it took me a long time, and Jesus said, forgive them. And I said, I don't want to forgive them. And God said, I am all authority. I'm like, I forgive them. Right? So then I was like, all right, I'm going to forgive this person. Out of obedience, every time they came to mind, I was like, I'm going to punch them in the nose. No, I'm going to forgive them. Right? And he says to bless those that persecute you. I'm like, all right, Father, bless them. Bless them with the truth and maybe a truck, right, that drops on them or something. I don't, but I started praying, right? And every time they came to mind, I was like, God, I'm going to turn them over. I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to be obedient to you, right? And as I was obedient to God, all of a sudden, over a period of time, God started doing something in me. Love started growing in my life. That's called fruits of the Spirit. You don't grow fruit. God, the Spirit, grows it in you. And all of a sudden, this person who was hard before started to become soft, he started to change me. And I started to have the ability to see compassion for this person and to love this person and to pray for them and to care for them. I was no longer in bondage to my own, my own unforgiveness. God changed me. Now, am I perfect? No, but I've walked that part of faith. And you know what I've been able to do? There are other people who are younger in their faith that have people that need to forgive. And they're like, I don't want to forgive them. And it's like, trust me, it's better if you do. This is what's going to happen. And I can help them walk along. I can help them be obedient to God in the areas that I'm obedient that's what it's called. So biblical knowledge is the faithful living. Faithful living leads to that spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is evidenced by the fruits of the Spirit. You don't grow the fruits. That's not what you do. But I tell you, the more that you are faithful, the more you're following God, the more fruits of the Spirit you're going to have in your life. There's more to be love. There's going to be more joy and peace and patience. There's going to be gentleness that you never knew was there and kindness that you, you just can't even believe. All of a sudden, you'll be like a kind person. You're like, me? And you're like, yes, it'll be there. That's what's going to happen. And as you grow in Christ... You are called to help other people, those especially that you brought to faith, grow in Christ. Help them grow up. It's a great thing. And as we help them teach and as we do this, then we we realize we can only pass on what we've learned. That's why Jesus said to his disciples, make disciples. So we pass on your experience. You are 100% qualified to teach on your experience in Christ. Unlike anybody else, so teach. In order to make disciples, of course, you first need to be discipled. And here's the problem, because in our church, in the Western world, we have not discipled people. We've made converts. We've had big rallies, and people come to Jesus, and they're like, oh, save me, and then they're saved, and then they go back, and their lives don't change, because no one teaches them how to follow Jesus, and then they're Christian, but they have no evidence of Christ in their life. They're immature, and they don't know how to make disciples. Or they flounder along, and they go to church, and they pick up as much as they possibly can, but they've never been discipled. So when I say, go disciple somebody, they freeze, and they get terrified. They're like, I've never been discipled. You know? That's a real fear, and, it's, and that's a and that's problem with how we've done the church. So this is how we're fixing it. We have decided we're going to disciple you. I don't know if you know this, but sneakily, during our worship services, we do crazy things like we pray. We study scripture, right? We memorize it. We tell you to meditate on it. We give you some of these opportunities. But we've done even something even more. The next level is a discipleship class. Sean Gillen's going to be starting one up in the spring. And if you've never been discipled, it's an opportunity to go through and look about how, what, how do we begin to follow Jesus so we can know him more. So that way you can lead others in the same path that you've had. You'll be equipped. So if you've never been discipled, to join that class. And how you do that, let us know, right? Discipleship or 2-7 on, your, on your, green, your connection card. There's also other things that we do. We have membership classes. We do all kinds of stuff. We want to train you to help you, equip you to be disciplers. Now there's other tools that we have in this uh, 
that, you know, you'll find them all through. We're going to give you opportunities. We're going to give you classes. We're going to do all these things. What I'm going to ask you is you have to take initiative of yourself. If you want to be a disciple, if you need to grow, then, then do this. So maybe it's becoming a prison ministry. Maybe that's what God's calling you to do. That's your next step. But there's another one that I want to invite you about, uh, talk to you about this, this. Our community has this thing called the hub. Have you heard of it? The hub and the huddle. It's a youth group for our whole community. It is a straight up miracle. What God has done, I mean, putting the church back together. Is it perfect? No, but God's doing great things. Well, uh, the guy who's in charge of that is a guy, um, the, the pastor, the youth pastor for the whole community is a guy named um, um, uh, James Carnell, an amazing guy, and I've asked him to come today and share a little about something that he mentioned at our EMA, which is the Evangelical Ministers, when we get together every month for a business meeting. He was talking about what God is doing in the youth and the opportunities that we have to go and disciple in, in our community. So I've asked James to come and just share briefly some of the stuff that we have got going on. And if you've not met James, you need to spend some time with him because, believe it or not, he has more energy than I do, and it's really awesome. So, James, there you go. Thank you, Pastor. It's so good to be here today, and it's a privilege to be here. I got to tell you a funny story. I noticed some of the Ravencrest students here, and some of you girls, I think, were part of this group. But uh, so let me ask you know, how do you how how does a guy who is jumping years of age? Uh, work with youth, you know, and being a senior pastor and stuff like that. And, and I say, you know, it just doesn't matter what age you are. It doesn't matter your talent or your ability. God uses all of us. And he's really looking for your availability. But it was really funny the other day. I'm in Safeway, which is my second office. That's usually where I do a lot of ministry. Usually in the donut aisle is where I'm at and minister to people. It just seems like that's where it flows. But I was in there and I saw Millie Carpenter and some of the Ravencrest students here, some of the new girls that were you know, new at Ravencrest, said hi to Millie, and then we went out, and I got in my Jeep, and, and Millie's car was parked right in front of me, so I just beeped, and I waved at Millie. Well, uh, Wednesday night, she came to me, and she goes, oh, Pastor James, it's so funny. She goes, some of the girls that didn't know you, and she goes, and when you beeped and waved at me, they go, ooh, look, some creepy old guy is waving at you. <laughs> no, I, it was you, wasn't it? Yeah, I know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so I'm the creepy old guy that does youth ministry in Estes Park. Trust your kids with me. Uh, it, was, it was too funny. So I had to share that. This lab made me crack up. Okay. So, so what I'm saying is God can use anybody. Amen. He can use me. He can use anybody. Well, one of the cool things that we have going on right now is, is we've been invited to do is be a part in the schools. How many of you thought that schools were shut off to Christians? Anybody? Okay, good. So you're good. Uh, Steve Johnson is an awesome guy, and he and I are doing a group this year called Boys Council. And what we've been invited to do is we are working with restorative justice in the police department. I'm also a police chaplain. That's one of my other things that I do. And I have been doing that for about 13 years. But we are doing restorative justice is doing Boys Council in the schools. And what it is is we meet with students about an hour a week. Uh, and right now we're taking these guys through what it means to be a man and and teaching young men to be men. And so that a cool topic. Now, am I getting to preach? Do I get to, you know, share the gospel? No, but that's cool because what I am being is an example of a godly man. Even though I don't say the scripture or say gospel, I am able to live a life in front of these kids, right? And what's cool is opening up doors outside because now they're going, oh yeah, and you also do the hub, right? Can I come to hub? No. You know, no. <laughs> It's like, what do they expect me to say? These kids are always asking me, what does it take to come to Hub? Usually a vehicle, or you can walk. I said, it's free. It's open to everybody, you know? And so these kids are coming and being part of the Hub, too. But it's opened up doors because how many of you know we have a lot of single parents in our community? 
We have a lot of single parents, a lot of single moms that are raising young men, and they don't have a male role model in their life. And so we have boy circles, we have girl circles, and that is one easy way you can get involved. We need more volunteers. We just started the boy circles this year. Last semester was the first time. We only had two. Uh, we're hoping to get multiple boy circle groups going. So if that's an area you'd like to be involved in, we would love to get you trained and, and plugged in with that. Now, you have to pass background check which hopefully you can do. So, you know, one of the questions was, have you ever committed a felony? And I said, convicted? No, no, never been convicted of a felony, so I'm good. And uh, so I passed. Um, but it's just simple like that. Another thing that we're going to be starting up is something called character coaches. Uh, FCA, Tom, Scott Miller, and myself, we're meeting tomorrow. We're kind of hashing out our game plan for Estes Park. And he's also doing it in this level. A buddy of mine, good friend of mine, actually the pastor who led me to the Lord, my youth pastor, is now the FCA director over all Dallas-Fort Worth area. And he started something called character coaching. And instead of chaplains for our teams. We are now putting character coaches with our teams to help be there for the coaches, to help them and whatever, and it's a huge thing. So we're going to be getting volunteers with that. Jed and I were just talking about extending that even further uh, from reaching our kids into having guys who know how to do stuff, like fix cars and motorcycles and build stuff, and we're going to start meeting with these guys, these boys who don't have a dad in their life, and we're going to teach them how to do cool stuff. And just be an example of Jesus to them. So these are just a few of the areas that, that God is, is just raising up in opportunities. And the churches have said, you know what? We've got to reach these single moms. We've got to, we've got to touch these families who are struggling and reach these young boys that need a, a male role model in their life. And girls, I'm not trying to exclude girls, but we've got to, it seems like women volunteer more readily than men do. And so I'm, I'm harping on the guys. But ladies, we also need your help as well. Thank you so much. Stay here for a second. We're going to pray with you. Do you see what God is doing? He's opening doors that we've prayed that God will open. He's giving us the opportunity to serve and to care for our community. When the schools come and beg the churches, send us your men. That's the work of God. That is opportunity. But we need to go. We need to go and do this. We need to serve. We need to care for our people. And here, this is a great opportunity. See what God is doing. These are exciting times. Do you understand that God is, the kingdom of God is advancing and hell has no defense against us because we're going to love this community to Jesus. We're going to see them and care for them and serve them. But that requires some of you, maybe right now, you're one of those men that needs to step up and be a character coach. You're one that says, you know what, that's an hour of my time. Yeah, well, you get eternity. God will make it back, trust me. But right now, you say, I can do that. I want to support this. Maybe you're a prayer warrior. And you're like, I'm going to pray over our kids. I'm going to commit to praying over our, our youth. You do that. Maybe you're one of those, you just heard something. You said, you know what? There's a lot of single moms in our community, and that's really hard. Maybe it's for you to say, I'm going to find a single mom. I'm going to help her. I'm going to do some laundry or bring them a meal or, or do something of practice on a regular basis and not ask anything of her, but just bless her. There are ways that we can serve. But God is reaching this is the great commission in action. That's one of the things I love about James. He's just great commission, like serving completes and all, right? It's awesome, <laughs> right? As we grow in Christ, we need to follow. I think it's a great thing. We want to pray for you for the hub, what you're doing, but also I want to say if God's speaking to you to, to serve, do it. Talk to him afterwards. Don't let that fire go cold. Go and serve. The door is open.
So let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you so much for, for James and for his heart, for his, his leadership and youth ministry and Estes, for the hub and for what he's doing. Bless that ministry. Bless him with wisdom and truth. Protect him from the enemy. Protect him from, from any type of in, inner corruption. Father, grow him and, and, and faith and faithfulness. Protect his family in this time that he has. Make the ministry a joy. Let this community rally behind him in this good work. But Father, I also pray that you would rally around him an army from the church of people who are willing to love and sacrifice their time and be willing to go and commit to the youth and to your kingdom causes. Father, I pray that you would protect his ministry from those who would like to come in that are wolves in sheep's clothing. Father, bar the door from them. But Father, open wide the door to those who are called to serve and let them serve. Father, help us as a church be a support, not just financially, but Father, and spiritually and with hands and feet as well, God. And, and I pray that, and, that you would provide as many coaches as necessary and then some. Father, I pray that you would provide as many men to go and help in the schools as necessary and then some. Father, I pray that you would provide more than enough people in our church to help support our widows and, and, and our, our single moms and those, and those kiddos. Father, help us, the church, to step up and to do the work which you've called us to do. And Father, when we do this, we pray that you receive glory. So we ask that in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. So we're called to be disciples of Jesus, to build disciples of Jesus. That's really what it comes down to, isn't it? All of these things, these commissions that we have, if we want to sum them all up, be disciples of Jesus that build disciples of Jesus. That's what we are called to do. God has called you, commissioned you to do it. And once you said, yes, Lord, you are my Savior, you are my Lord, now we are in it. So let's do it. Now, I don't want to burden you with something bad. This is exciting stuff. Just dream with me for a second because it doesn't have to be a dream. What would it mean when the Christian church and any, all of the churches in the Essex Valley, when we start actually committing to the calling that God has given us? When we start to actually take Jesus and put him in the center of our life and make him what we revolve around, right? When we begin to, in that, begin to care for other people and see them who they are and their true needs. If we begin to actually serve Actively, not as something that we do on the side, as periphery, but part of our very lifestyle. There is no corner of this valley if the gospel light won't shine. All we have to do is be obedient. The kingdom of God will advance. It just requires us to be obedient. Jesus started with 12. He had 200 here this morning. And there are another 1,200 in the Estes Valley that are worshiping this morning. We have more than enough to reach this community. Every day when I drive over that hill and I see Estes Park, I pray over and I know that there's a time coming and it's coming soon when there will not be a person living here who doesn't know who Jesus is, what he has done, and how to respond. That's going to happen. In fact, it is happening. And we're part of it. Don't be left out. Join us. That's the challenge of the greatness challenge. Step up into what God has called us to do. And let's see God do great things. Let's see God do amazing things. Remember this great statement that I started this whole series with? A great commitment to the great commandments done with the great compassion or in the great commission done with great compassion will grow a great church and a great Christian. How true. Commit ourselves to these things. Let's commit ourselves to be great. Let's not be a, a mediocre church in Estes Park. Let's not be a footnote in the course of, hum, of, of all of history. When we get up in heaven and the people tell their stories about what they did and, and the legacy they left, let us not be mediocre. Let us be great. God has called us to great things. So let's serve and follow him greatly. And let's see what he does. Some cool stuff. So, so first steps. I throw in a lot at you today. I get it. Because you can tell this is, I'm kind of passionate about this particular topic. It like, makes me vibrate almost. It's so cool. Here's things that you can do. 
Take your connection card on the back side, some one-step things that you maybe you can begin this week to begin taking those next steps in the, in the Great Commission that you've been called to. The first one is maybe this week you commit to memorizing the Great Commission itself, Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Why? It's really hard to stay on mission if you can't remember what the mission is. Duh. Right? So maybe this week you take some time to remember what it is. Set it to your heart and your mind. Think about what it says. When it says, therefore, remember why the therefore is there. Jesus, who has all authority, told us to go. Remember what he told us to do. Make disciples. That's the main thing. Are you doing that in your life? Because it doesn't matter if you have a great family or a great job or you have a lot of wealth when you die. If you are not making disciples, you missed it. If you want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, follow the main thing. Are you going? Who are you reaching intentionally? Maybe take some time to be praying about that. God, help me. Maybe you're not there, so you need to spend some time with this. Really think it through. Or how about baptizing? Who are you working, helping come to faith? Who are you sharing good news with? If there's nobody, maybe you need to start praying for somebody. God, bring me somebody I need to pray for. Or maybe it's this. As you get baptized, how about this? Teach. Who are you helping grow up in the faith? Who are you encouraging in their faith? And you yourself, are you actually maturing in your faith? Maybe this week, you start with the Great Commission and you spend time with God in that and let God's Word do its work in your heart. Maybe that's where you begin. How about this? Maybe you know the Great Commission, have it memorized, so you're like, what is it that we help them teach? Well, I'll tell you what, Romans is a great book talking about what do we believe as Christians? What is it all about? If you have not read Romans or it's been a while, spend some time in Romans this week. I challenge you to do that. As disciples, we should know the doctrine of Romans pretty well. Or how about this? Maybe you need to join a 2-7 discipleship group. You have never been discipled. You feel so ill-equipped to go and make disciples because no one has ever actually discipled you. Well, you're in charge of that now. We're offering you an opportunity to be discipled. So maybe what you need to do is sign up for that. If you do that, I also need you to give me your, your information so that way we can make sure that we contact you when the class is ready to start and get your materials and all that. Or maybe what you need to do is actually just start going out and doing it. Maybe that's starting by inviting a friend. You know, next week we're going to start a series in February. It's called Family February. It is not politically correct, but I'm not apologetic about that at all. Our families and our culture are falling apart, and real people are hurting. And we're going to talk about family starting next week. We're going to talk about marriage. We're going to talk about kids. We're going to talk about identity. We're going to talk about elders and, and how do we care for the extended family. We're going to talk about how the family deals with the church. I mean, real, very relevant stuff. And maybe you know somebody in your life that's, that could really use some guidance from God's word, some counsel, a different way. Maybe their families are just rough or they need a, a different perspective. I tell you what, this is a great place to invite them. And they're going to receive grace and truth and certainly a whole lot of love. So maybe that's what you do and that's going to take courage. That's why I put it down there because when we commit to something, it helps us to have the courage to go and do what we know we need to do. Maybe there's something else you're called to, write it down. Maybe there's a prayer request you have. I do pray for you every week and it does help me to know how to pray for you if you tell me. So um, don't make me guess. So if you write down a prayer request, I will pray for you. And then in a minute, we're going to take our offering. With our offering, please take this connection card, put it in the offering basket. Uh, We would sure appreciate that. All right. Before I have the worship team come out, let's just pray. And then uh, we'll have them come out and close us up. Heavenly Father, thank you for you, that you are a God on mission. Lord, that uh, you made us to love you. Uh, You gave us this world. You said that uh, we could trust you with it or we could put it on our own domain and we decided to put it under our own domain. And boy, we have messed it up. So Father, thank you that you didn't give up on us. That uh, you you loved us more than our sin. You saw our our, uh, healing 
even when we, all we could see was brokenness. Father, when we were still your enemies, you decided to be our Savior. Father, you are worthy of every good thing because you are the source of every good thing. And Father, we, we want to be a church that follows you greatly. We want to represent you well. We want to be a church that's on mission, that's on your mission. Father, help us be faithful in that. Lord, I pray that you keep this church uh, from the two opposite extremes. That one, that we would just be so content and comfortable in your grace that we keep it to ourselves. Or Father, that we are, are so compelled to go and just to serve that we become legalistic and forget to know you. Father, help us to be a church that loves you deeply and is transformed by you profoundly. Father, reach our community and transform it with the gospel. And Lord, as you do this, as we keep these commitments that we've made, I pray that they wouldn't just be legalistic things that we do, but Father, I pray that they would be acts that draw us closer to you and that we would get to see you more in our life. And Father, I also pray for our, our, our tithes and our offerings, all these investments we make in your kingdom, Lord. This is exactly what it is. We want to see your kingdom grow. So may it grow, Father. Give us wisdom and accountability, Father. I pray that every single thing that is penny that is brought in would be invested into your kingdom in the way that you want it to be invested so that this community can know who Jesus is and have the opportunity of grace that we enjoy. And so, Father, in this and this week, may we honor you with our lives. Lord, we pray this in the wonderful name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen.